Welcome to Stacey on the Right, the podcast. I'm your hostess with the most is Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com and FamilyVisionMedia.org. This podcast is brought to you by Thrivent. Find your purpose, live your calling. Start your next career today. Go to ThriventFinancial.com slash advisor careers or reach out to David A. Sample, FIC, CLTC, BFA, Regional Direct Development Director. You can find the link to that at FamilyVisionMedia.org. It's my pleasure to welcome our podcast guest today. I'm so excited to talk to her. She is amazing. And she's doing God's work and in my favorite venue, Classical Education. Katie McKinney, she is the founder and head of school of the Classical Academy of the Lafayette. So excited to talk to you. Katie, thank you for joining us. Hi, Stacy. Great to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. Okay, so we have so much to discuss. And I just I, I want to warn you off the top. As a mom who had kids who went to a classical education modeled school for five years, I feel like I'm a big cheerleader and champion for that mode of education. Even though they went on to graduate from different places, I feel that that time at a classical education modeled school was like turning on a light bulb within them, expanding their idea of what they could do, how many pages they could memorize, uh, if they could actually understand logic and rhetoric, if they really put their mind to it that they could really understand and navigate Latin and Greek. Things that they really, going to the school, they thought they would actually tell me in the minivan on the way home, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. They didn't really feel equipped to tackle it, but they did. And they did very well there, made lifelong friendships. But the most important thing to me is they got an understanding of our faith, not just religion, but our faith tradition as Christians, um, the historical aspect of it, the Reformation, and how we became, you know, the the country that we are today, all of that was embedded in the curriculum that they were experiencing under the classical model. So can you first tell us, Katie, how did you come to found this beautiful school that you now run? No, thank you. I, um, you know, I've been in education for over 20 years. I started in my early 20s as a young teacher in California in the public school system, um, moved with my husband as he was in sales, and so we just traveled across the country and eventually got back here to St. Louis, where I grew up. And as we had our own family, um, I just naturally wanted to teach them, and so homeschooled them for a bit and, and really stumbled upon the classical model through the homeschooling world. I knew nothing about it. I didn't even know it existed. And as I read more about it um, and as I began to teach my own children, I was I was blown away, as you probably have been, um, watching your children, as you mentioned, come alive and love the hard work and want to do more school. And I just thought that was kind of an ironic concept. I'd never really hungered for more school, and and they were doing that. Um, and then as things would happen, I'd look, I'd look around. We were in our kitchen table, and I'd look around and go, "Oh my gosh, who just witnessed this? This is so amazing! This is so fun!" And and I realized we got to do this for more kids. And at the same time, I was expanding my understanding of classical education. My husband and I were attending different lectures and whatnot about American history or just about our world history. And we both kind of would look at each other and go, "Like, why don't we know this? Why, 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 why don't I know much about the ancients or about?" you know, the medieval renaissance, and, and we thought it was us. And as we talked with more people, we realized, no, we none of us know our history very well. 
And so that put me on a charge to say, this isn't right. And, and what do I need to do to make sure my kids don't ever have that feeling where their history under their knowledge of, of history is like the Roman ruins. Um, and they don't really see the whole picture, but just these fragments. So, um, so I, honestly, the, the, the catalyst happened when I was sitting in church one day and, uh, the thought came to me, I, I just want, I want excellent education and I want excellent character. And, and why can I not find a school that can marry the two together? And so I looked around at public and private and, um, I couldn't find it. So I figured, well, I guess maybe I should do it. And on the heels of that thought came, you know, if Hillsdale College had a K through 12 school, that would be the cream of the crop. That's the direct quote that came through my head. And then a thought argued, no, no, you know, they don't have it. It's just a college. And then the thought came, no, go back and check the internet and just see. And so that afternoon, it was in November, um, right around Thanksgiving, I checked. And all of a sudden, they had this this Barney Charter School initiative. Um, they had started. They had six schools. And so I made a point to go find one. And it was Bentonville, Arkansas. That was the closest one to us. It did a reconnaissance mission, talked with the head of school, the parents, the kids, the teachers. And I was blown away by what I saw, what I learned, and I thought, that's it. That's what I want to do. And uh, after a long <laughs> come to Jesus with my husband and myself, uh, just wrestling with how are we going to do this, I just, I could not, it could not stop thinking about it. And I just thought, okay, this is what I have to do. So Bill Sales has been a wonderful partner. I feel privileged to to work with them. Um, we are a private school, though. We're not charter because of Missouri's, you know, uh, current structure um, in terms of not allowing charter schools, unless you're in Kansas City or St. Louis City uh, limits. Um, but we're we're having a bang up time, and every single kid comes in just can't wipe the smile off their face. They just they're having so much fun, and I have so much fun watching them. <laughs> so it's that's been kind of the journey. So, you know, Katie, I want to I want to just make a quick point here. Uh, when you mentioned the fact that you can't have charter schools outside of the city of St. Louis or Kansas City, it is because of the failed public school model and the National Education Association uh, command and control lock on, uh, you know, legislators down in Jeff City that says that, well, in school districts that are failed or provisionally accredited, such as St. Louis City has been uh, and Kansas City, then you can have school choice options. But in areas where the school districts are, quote, AAA rated, (laughs) they're doing fine. The kids out there are Mm -hmm. blue ribbon, you know, all that, all that nonsense. Then those school districts, they can't have school choice. And I sincerely believe the reason they don't allow charter schools in St. Louis County and elsewhere is because just like you did, you, you, you said one day to yourself, I want something different for my kids and I'm willing Mm -hmm. to make it. And then you did, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine how many other moms out there are sitting over a cup of coffee right now, or maybe, you know, in the wee hours of this morning, they turned over extremely dissatisfied with their kids being taught critical race theory or some variation thereof. And they thought, you know, I would totally start a school, but, I, we, you know, I don't have the means to do a private school. A charter school means you don't have to spend, it, there's, a, there's a financial outlay there that is 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 kind of eliminated. And so it's easier. Right. So if that were an option, we'd have, you know, and they wouldn't all be called Academy de Lafayette, obviously, but there would be <laughs> other schools like yours popping up because moms are very capable and they're 
excellent at raising funds and they're excellent at gathering people around. And parents who are dissatisfied, but they're suffering in silence, would see that option and they would flock to it. And it would be the complete and utter destruction Mm -hmm. of the NEA, Not, not public schools. Public schools will always exist. It's their model where they control it. That's what they're protecting. And I think, you know, maybe this podcast is someone's listening. They'll send this to someone in Jeff City and share it with them and let them know that the the NEA is not as big of a boogeyman as they think it is. And allowing every school district in the entire state of Missouri to have charter schools would mean an increase in the educational outcomes of Missouri's children. And that is a net plus that we can't avoid. We Absolutely. Can't, yeah. I, I, it's shocking to me that we haven't already steamrolled them into doing this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I being, I, I myself am an entrepreneur, and I am constantly looking all my life to see what what problems can we solve. And this is to me, this is how this country was founded. Um, and in order to maintain that that spirit, we have to educate that way. Um, and and to me, this is a wonderful opportunity um, for us to to continue to to I guess mobilize this idea um, because children learn best. Um, when they're given the freedom and not dictated to as to what to learn, but rather how to learn, and and that um, we, we've got to teach it that way. We're 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 putting out cogs and wheels, and that is not how this country was built. Um, we we need people who can think and who can problem solve, and then go take action to do it. And so, Katie, do you? Because I I bought just as a mom, and I, it's not that I came into being a mom thinking that my kids couldn't learn things. But I just continue to be, even as they're young adults now, I continue to be shocked and surprised in a positive way by what they're able to absorb, process, and then push back out with their own mm-hmm. uh, perspective. And I know they're, you know, obviously these are these are humans created in the image of God, creative beings, you know, with unlimited potential. But there's still this feeling that permeates American society that children, you know, there there are all these limits to what they can learn. And we have to, you know, make sure not to expose them to this or to that. And I'm I'm speaking of classics, literature, um, more difficult, uh, you know, uh, uh, ideological concepts that surround the founding, like the Federalist Papers. There's certain things that that you'll hear teachers and educators say. We don't cover that because the the kids aren't ready to absorb that. But I, I find it's the opposite, that children really can absorb and process at their own rate. The more mm-hmm. you give them, the more they process. And then whatever they haven't completely grasped or understood can be built upon later. But there's... There's just no limit mm-hmm. to what they can do. They can memorize chapters of content. We always think, oh, they, you know, they can memorize one scripture or two verses, or they can memorize <laughs> chapters and recite them back mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. not be broken afterwards. They're, they're not going to have a mm-hmm. mental breakdown. What well, what is behind this idea that our children's ability to learn is so limited? I, I you know, I often ask the same question because they are so capable. Um, you know, I think. I mean, I would have to attribute it to ignorance because we've been learning in this archaic way of education for decades now that people just have been, I guess, conditioned to think that children are are very limited. And I come at this like you in a, in a very unlimited sense. Um, and we actually, a great example of that is our third and fourth graders just recently memorized Paul Revere's Ride by Henry um, Wadsworth Longfellow. And that used to be memorized in the 1800s by students all across this land. 
It's about a seven to eight minute recitation. Um, and they can do it like super fast. This is not, it doesn't take a long time. It took them maybe a month or two. Um, but they loved it. Um, so I don't, I guess I just have to attribute it to ignorance because when parents see that, even myself, when I saw my own two and a half year old memorizing some of the poetry, my jaw dropped because I thought, well, how is this possible? <laughs> but it is. And I, you know, I go off of what's called the trivium. Now I say me, it's, it's not a new idea. It's been around for 2,500 years. But when I saw the trivium, um, it's Latin for where the three roads meet. And it, it basically outlines how human beings best learn. And human beings, as we know, are the most intelligent creatures upon this earth. And from about zero years old to 12 years old, they are in sponge mode. They absorb everything around them, good or bad. And so we maximize that. And, and really, um, from a developmental stage, we expose them to all the important things they need to know. Facts, math facts, their geography, their presidents, their how do I get along with people, their all of the, the elements of the English language. Um, and then by the time they hit middle school, they go into this thing called the logic stage where they're now saying, okay, I've got enough information to be dangerous, and I can start to you know espouse my own thoughts. And oftentimes it lacks reason or logic. And so as a school, we invite that argumentative period and we teach them how to reason. Back it up. Show me where, how do you defend your answer? And then in the high school years, that's the, uh, that's the rhetoric stage, we now are teaching them how to persuade, how to convey their ideas, whether it's in the written language or verbally. And by the time they're you know, graduating, they're writing a 20-page paper about something they're passionate about, but bringing all three roads together. So the facts they would learn in their younger years, the logic or the, the, the reason, and then rhetorically defending and persuading um, by the time they're in their adult or, you know, young adult years. Um, this is how kids best learn. It's how human beings best learn. And if you think about, you know, if you go to learn something brand new, I say <clears throat> like sailing or chess, something you've never done before, you have to go through that trivium no matter how old you are. I mean, you may speed through it in quicker than 18 years, obviously, but you have to go through learning the vernacular and then reasoning through it and testing it. And then eventually you can go and teach it to someone. But this this has been thrown out. It was thrown out about 1925 during Woodrow Wilson's administration. We took a little degree turn. And here we are 100 years later where no one no one even knows about this stuff. But this is how our country was built. It was built on classical education. It was built on the trivium. Um, it was built on how human beings best learn. And we have dumbed ourselves down. And it's awful. It's a travesty. And I, I look at it as modern-day slavery. And I, as, as a human being made in the image and likeness of God, I cannot sit here anymore and be okay with this. And, and nor is it going to be okay for my kids. Well, and I think the the point that you're making about when we turned during Woodrow Wilson, that was also when we started looking at great society programs and, you know, kind of making the government the source as opposed to uh, people. And Mm -hmm. and obviously this was in response to, you know, a national tragedy where people were starving to death. So there's there's Mm -hmm. a place for all of it, but the government is supposed to be subordinate to God, man, and then the three spheres of life, government, church, and the home. It is Government is not supposed to be up there at the same level as God or even above God, and certainly not above us as human beings, men and women, parents, you mm-hmm. know, employees, employers, et cetera, the different roles that we play. 
we have allowed politics to go from being a tool to almost something that we, we have politics and we have the government. And those two things we look to as our source of everything. And when you take a tool and twist it and kind of uh, pump more into it than what it's supposed to be, then we cannot be shocked when that tool neither works for us and also mm-hmm. is harmful to us. Um, and, and one way that we can prevent our children from having that ideological bent of seeing politics as an end-all be-all, something that we're supposed to be obsessed with all the time, and seeing government as the source, as if they go through this process that you've described, the trivium, um, which obviously, it'd be wonderful if we all knew what it was, but we have to start somewhere. And I think you just did a huge service for us, uh, you know, telling all of us here and at the podcast what it is, how, how it works, so that we can begin to reinsert that back into our conversation about education for kids. I, I want to talk a little bit about your school. Uh, the website is calschool.org, C-A-L-school.org. And I'm on the website right now. And I, I first of all, I love the imagery. It reminds me of what, whatever, what I think of when I say classical education. I think of stone buildings with heavy architecture, soaring arches, you know, <laughs> flying buttresses. Mm-hmm. And you have that background here on the, on the website. But tell us about this. The, you, you've told us a little bit about what brought you here. But what is your school like? What is its size? What is its uh, what kind of building are you in? How many children and specifically um, what grade levels are you serving right now? So our school currently size wise, we have about 60 students. Um, we anticipate we've been we've been doubling in our enrollment every year. Um, COVID did throw a bit of a wrench into our our year last year, so that slowed us a little bit, but we anticipate this next year will be, you know, over 100 students. So, um, and the big goal is that we want to eventually be between 350 to 500 students when we're fully built out at K through 12. Um, currently, we're kindergarten through 10th, well, 9th, and then this next fall we'll go to 10th, and the next year we'll go to 11th until 2024, and we're fully K through 12. Um, the building we're currently in right now, we're in Wentzville, um, in a building we're leasing from Lindenwood, which we're so grateful for. Um, mm. It used to be a restaurant, and they converted it into classrooms. So we occupy that building. It's um, probably about seven or 8,000 square feet. So that, so that when, when you talk about, because I first of all, I think it's so logical to have, uh, you have K through nine, next year you have K through 10. That also follows your student body, but it allows you to grow uh, in, a, in a logical, methodical way, not overtaxing your resources, because as you add those additional grades, that makes it possible for kids who are already in the school to stay, but also to bring in new, uh, new students. So that's a very doable thing. Like you're, you're talking about just a few years, you'll have an entire school K through 12. Um, at that point, do you already, have you already chosen your new location or are you just kind of still noodling that out? It's a constant, it's a constant thing. Uh, most classical schools, the biggest challenge they have is space. Um, and so I'm in touch with other schools across the country and, and we're currently looking at maybe adding modulars or something so that we can maintain, you know, our, our current location. So we're, we're noodling that out as we speak. So we have lots of opportunities and thinking big picture, you know, we're looking at five, 10, 20 years down the road and, you know, maybe there'll be more than one. We think, we think the, the, the area can definitely hold um, more schools. And so we are looking at the idea of, of having sister schools across this great city, both St. Louis and St. Charles, um, because there's plenty of inventory 
And um, parents, <clears throat> we have parents calling us from West County saying, when are you going to open a school over here? So we are, we are <laughs> listening and we are trying to meet the need um, with as much fiscal responsibility and, and reasonability as, as we can. Um, so, yeah, I think this is the beginning of, of lots of good for many kids. So I, I think that um, there's a potential for, as we see more parents exiting public schools, uh, parents of means who, you know, they use public schools because that's their tradition and they really had a great experience themselves and they wanted that for their children, but they realize it's untenable with critical race theory and some of these other ideological potholes that are being forced on on students. Mm-hmm. Um, there There is an opportunity for your school um, to have a couple of major donors come in and help you locate something because you're you're in an area where growth is still possible. You're not locked in in Wentzville. You have mm-hmm. there's plenty of acreage, plenty of, of available properties where you could have a few people come in and say, "Look, we we support this model and we're going to help you know take you to the next step." I sincerely believe that. I, I think the biggest hurdle for a school at all, especially a private one, is getting started and successfully implementing the model and then managing growth. You're already doing all three of those things. So the next step, which Mm -hmm. is finding major donors to help you catapult into a property reality, it's just a matter of time. I I sincerely believe that. Um, So as, as we're talking about just what it is, what would you say to a parent who they're listening to the podcast, they hear you, they feel a little bit of inspiration, but they're wondering what it looks like for kids if they're coming in in kindergarten or maybe their kids are already, you know, they're already uh, maybe eighth grade, sixth grade and fourth grade. What would transitioning into uh, your classical academy look like for those parents? Well, first, I would say the younger your child is, the better and, and the sooner you can get them into classical, the better. Because as you know, Stacey, it is it is rigorous and um, it takes a lot of work. If so, when we have you know K through four, K through five students come, they visit, they they come in and visit for the day, and we assess them in their math, we assess their spelling, um, their reading, if we can, if we have time, we do want them to have fun, so we don't want to test the light <laughs> the daylights out of them. <laughs> but um, interestingly enough, um, you know, the, I would say overall the kids. The comment we continually get, especially from people who visit, all the kids who have visited us, which I've had hundreds of kids visit us now, um, they all say, this was the best day of my life. And I'm not and I'm not exaggerating. That is a direct quote from many kids. And I feel bittersweet when I hear that because, of course, it's a nice compliment. I love that. But it makes me so sad when I when they're 10 years old, 8 years old, and this is the best. Like, why haven't you had a lot of these days? Um, and so that I, our kids are just happy. We, we've had a number of adults come through and they just say, this atmosphere is just, it's just happy. It's loving. Um, it's bright. Um, and I think I attribute that to the fact that we have a great curriculum that is feeding our students at the right developmental stage, like we talked about with the trivium. But I also look to hire teachers who love children. Number one, it's loving children. Because if you don't love your fellow man and if you don't love what you're doing, it comes out in many ways. I will say I sat down with Dr. Arn a couple years ago as we were talking about this school. And he got down kind of, we were sitting at his beautiful table, mahogany table in his office. And he got right, you know, kind of in my face. And he goes, do you know why we're doing this? You know, this Barney Charter School Initiative and I looked at him, I said, I know why I'm doing it. Why are you doing it? And he said, because we love kids. And I said, well, 
that's why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And I get a little emotional because, um, you know, when you know enough history and you know enough about what has been sacrificed for this country, and you know that your children live in a, in a country that is free from a monarchy or a police state, you know that's where man flourishes. You know that's where your child is going to be their best self. And so when, when I have been thinking about the school in its embryonic stage and now as we go into our adolescent stage, this is the point. It's, it's to, to provide an environment where children can be their best self. Because if they can be their best self, when they get out in the real world, they will be a blessing to all of us. And if I have to put this school in one word, it's about self-governance. And this country was founded on knowing that we weren't going to be a police state or a monarchy and that the people had to govern themselves. So we have to teach, first and foremost, the importance of self-governance, which takes immense temperance and um, loving of yourself, loving of your neighbor to, to do the right thing when no one's looking. And so we're constantly focused on character, and I think that's what really provides for an atmosphere that's happy because we're expecting this high standard of character from everyone, but then the result is that everyone loves doing the schoolwork because you're, you're going to feel successful. You're going to feel good about yourself when you're done. And then you say, oh, I want to go back for more. So we have a lot of kids not happy on Friday afternoons because school is not in session on Saturday and Sunday. And I literally have parents texting me saying, my child's in their uniform at Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, and they want to go to school. Um, <laughs> that is very, very common. And I, I just, it's a privilege to do this. And, and hopefully then to have these children go out and become young adults and be leaders in their churches and their families, their businesses, statesmen and government, but carry with them this love of learning and this importance to be a participant in this republic. Um, it's dependent on them. It's, we're, we're, we're starving for great great leaders and great participators. No more consumers. Um, we can't sit on the sidelines anymore. So the, as we're closing out here, and I just, I feel like we could talk on and on and on. Um, you mentioned the rigor. I want to share just a, briefly when we transitioned out of a, you know, it's regularly rated the number one or number two school district in the entire state of Missouri. Our children were doing well. I felt pretty confident that they could tackle any transition to any school. We did the assessments at the uh, the classical academy that our kids went to, and we were very, I mean, disturbed by the the testing results because mm-hmm. classical education has different set of metrics than public education. So while our kids were doing fantastic in public education, there were things that are really missing. They're like gaping holes. You don't realize they're there until you take a classical assessment. And so we were feeling discouraged. And you know, I prayed about it because I knew I knew we had to move them. And it occurred to me that we'd never done Kumon or anything like that because I I you know, do a lot of stuff with our kids at home. So I figured we don't need those, those extra educational resources. So we got tutors over the summer. So the end of the school year, we're there, you know, they're testing, the tests come back with some, some deficiencies. We got tutors from the school, the students who already went there, who tutored our kids and one teacher, and they tutored all summer long. And then in the fall, they were reassessed and they entered in at their normal grade level and continued to work. And there was a little bit of tutoring that continued on through the school year to continue to, to shore up those deficiencies. And then they did well. And there were other times where they needed tutors, but that's a part of education. We in America kind of say, oh, you need a tutor. It's almost like, oh, no, you know, that, that, 
that means you didn't do something right. The reality is that tutoring is actually a part of getting an education. Having additional help is what people do, whether they're business leaders or CEOs or or anyone. You get a tutor to come in and assist you in an area where you need deeper knowledge and understanding. And so I just want to encourage people, you know, they just heard you, Katie, head of school of this fantastic growing liberal arts academy, and they heard you say it's rigorous and it's difficult and there's, there are assessments. And I want to encourage you, if you feel pricked at all, if you feel encouraged or excited or motivated or interested at all, don't allow the rigor or the incoming impending results of the assessment test to deter you from taking this opportunity that she's offering with this. This It's a fantastic educational model. And your children will not only survive the tutoring, they'll make friends because the tutors become their friend. <laughs> and then they have someone in the hallway that they recognize on the first day of school. And it's like a, you know, built in friend network. Um, so I want to add that in because I don't want anyone to feel discouraged by the rigor of the school. It's, it's exactly what you want. You, Cece, you described it perfectly, and that's exactly right. And we have a number of families who come to us whose kids fourth through eighth grade, and they think they've been told they're top of their class or they're on honor roll, and they're four and five years behind in math. Well, we have specific programs that we can we can put in place to help support those kids. And, and I say, you know, better now that we found this than, you know, 10 years when they're trying to get a job or take their SATs. So um, we we need every child who's excited to learn to be a part of this. Um, and we're, we're willing to put in the work if the family's willing to, to help us be on the back end and be the bookend on the, on the home front. Mm-hmm. So this is a team effort and we're, we're all need to do this work together. Yeah, it, it's a team effort. Um, but I, I think, I think we, again, there's a bit of, how do I describe it? Cause it's not, it's, this isn't meant to be an insult to anyone. I had the same problem th- mentally thinking, oh, I don't know how they're going to handle this. It's not that my kids couldn't handle it. I just, I didn't know how they were going to handle it. So that, that was my fear was, you know, for me, I'm fearing for them. They weren't really afraid. They were just like, well, you know, what do I have to do? <laughs> so, so mm-hmm. once we got past that, they performed and your kids will too. You you will be shocked, amazed, surprised and and you know happy with what your kids can do when you kind of unleash them and say, "Okay, this is a little bit of a big hurdle, but we're going to we're going to get a tutor and they're going to work with you and we're going to work together and we're going to, you know, not only catapult over this, we'll we'll basically you know, mm-hmm. plow through it. But then on the other side, you get this, you get this education, you get this opportunity to learn and it's worth it. And kids buy into that. Like kids love uh, overcoming problems. They love, you know, jumping over insurmountable barriers. Kids love that. Um, so we we have to kind of pull up back our own reticence to give them an opportunity to experience something like this. I'm I, I'm one of those people who I believe I believe in homeschooling. I believe in public school. I believe in charter schools. I believe in classical education. I think each kid has an opportunity to to adopt a model. But after experiencing all of those, we we haven't done charter schools, but we've done every other form. I would say that my favorite was classical. And if you're in the uh, you know far west county area, well, you're out past West County. You're in Wentzville, but this is the St. Charles County. Um, you can actually get there if you're in uh, the the Wildwood area. You can still get there. I would recommend that you go out and take a tour and check it out and and kind of interface with this opportunity because it is it, it's a stellar education mechanism. I can't say enough about how wonderful it is. Stacey, and I would just add, we are actually working on putting a, a bus service together this year 
from West County to Wentzville um, because we have about 25 kids at least that are are um, anxious to join us from West County. I even have teachers who are driving in from Union, Alton, Illinois, and and Wildwood. I've got teachers commuting an hour every day, and they say, Katie, it's so worth it. They just love mm. it. So um, we we will find a way. We'll find a carpool. We'll find we'll find an avenue. If parents are, are interested um, in the West area, the West County area, we'll find a way to make it happen. Um, so don't let that be a barrier. Uh, so what else can we say except thank you. Thank you for your time this morning. I'm so excited that we got a chance to talk. I look forward to talking to you again as you continue to grow and expand out to meet the needs of so many parents out there who really want a great education, a a, a biblical-based Christian worldview education that will sharpen their children's minds into the swords they were meant to be. Katie McKinney, founder, head of school, the Classical Academy de Lafayette, I love it. I love what you're doing. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks, Stacey, so much. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. And the website for the, the Academy is calschool.org, C-A-L-S-C-H-O-O-L.org. You do not want to miss this opportunity to learn more about classical education. I recommend it highly, uh, and I'm so glad she was able to join us today, Katie McKinney, head of school. All right, I want to tell you a little bit about an opportunity that is knocking at your door right now, and it is Thrivent. You can find your purpose and live your calling by joining their team of financial professionals. The opportunities and an event are coming at you right away. Are you interested in a career with meaning and purpose? As a Thrivent financial advisor, you can combine your values, drive, and skills to create a rewarding career, helping others reach their financial goals. At Thrivent, you'll have the support of a Fortune 500 company backed by a 100-year legacy. To explore what it means to do work that matters, email David Sample, it's D-A-V-I-D dot S-A-M-P-L, at Thrivent.com or visit Thrivent.com slash careers. You can also find out more about health sharing from our sponsor, the Alliance for Shared Health. Over 40,000 households are participating and you can click the link at StacyOnTheRight.com or the banner ad at FamilyVisionMedia.org and start saving today. The Alliance for Shared Health, changing healthcare, changing lives.